Good morning. Good to see you all. People, there's a lot of good mornings, aren't there, in this church? People say good morning a lot. That's good. I like that. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, good morning. <laughs> Let's keep it going. It's a good morning. It's a good morning. It's a great morning. Um, uh, yeah, so I, it was great being here a couple of months ago, or it felt like that, a couple of months ago, and um, for some reason it was nice to get an invite back. So I'll um, see what we can do. Um, wouldn't you like some sparkling wine? Wouldn't you like some sparkling wine? I mean, there's something about it, isn't there? It's just that little bit extra. Um, uh, it's a champagne or it's a Prosecco, but it just gives a little bit more, the sparkling wine. And I want to encourage you this morning uh, to look for the sparkle. That's what we want to do. We want to look for the sparkle. Looking for the sparkle in yourself. You might have lost your sparkle, lost your mojo or whatever it is you use in Southport. You might have lost your sparkle. Um, Looking for a sparkle in church and in community and recognising the sparkle of heaven, the light that comes, um, that brings the best. The key word in this passage is... Uh, you know, usually what we do around here, that's kind of good and that's the best, but you have saved the best until now. That's one of the key words in this passage. So I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about church here and the community around you. What a fantastic stuff going on today. Met this cafe church crew. That's a great bit of sparkle going on out there. And, um, and think about the kingdom of God. So... John's Gospel does sparkle. It sparkles in so many ways. The, the Gospel is different in its setup to uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Um, they're all interwoven in, in, in different ways, but John is literally looking for the signs. The signs. This wedding in Cana is not so much a miracle, which of course it is, turning water into wine. It's a sign. A sign of what? Well, let's think about that for a minute. If you're... Um, uh, if I, this morning I drove from Liverpool to Southport, takes a few days, um, and um, so I left Liverpool, but of course every now and then you get a sign, Southport, Southport. If you just stopped at the sign and looked at it and thought, well that's a good sign, I like that word, Southport, you'd never get to Southport itself and experience what Southport <coughs> has. And that's what John is talking about here is, don't Stop at the sign, see the sign for what it's pointing to because you need to get somewhere to realise how good it is to realise the best. So Jesus bursts onto the scene in John 1. We don't get all the birth narrative, we don't get all those lovely Christmas stories. We get the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God and the Word came into being in, the, in Jesus, in life, or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. I love that um, description that Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and what does he do? He gathers disciples. He calls individuals like you and me to follow him. In fact, John the Baptist points his disciples to follow Jesus, don't stop at me, I'm just a sign. Go follow Jesus. 
And Jesus picks up these disciples. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, come and see. Come and see. There's an individual response. Jesus calls us every day of our lives to come and see. Not just to take a look, not just to wonder about, but to walk with me. Come and see. You've got to come with me and then you will see. Not just see what's going on, you'll see the bigger picture. And the kingdom picture here is also in John 1, is given to us by John the Baptist again, who says, behold, the Lamb of God. He doesn't say to people, oh, that's Jesus, by the way, follow him. He says, no, 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 that's the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God would have picked up all the richness of the Old Testament about who God is and what God is doing to bring people to repentance, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, um, that would, would establish God's presence among the people, but they would need to be able to atone for their sins. And so uh, the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, which we hear through the Passover, is a very important symbol, a very important sign for this Lamb of God, John is pointing towards. So we're going to be thinking about the sparkle in you, the sparkle in the community here and around, and the sparkle that comes from heaven. Let's pray together as we get into this text. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to come to quicken our minds, to inspire us, make our hearts beat a bit faster this morning as we realise, Jesus, you call us to come and see. You invite us to, uh, to follow and to be involved and to look and see the bigger picture. Just lift up our eyes so that we might see beyond ourselves, even beyond our community, and catch that glimpse of heaven. Amen. Amen. So what does Jesus do with these... Uh, these first disciples, what does he do? He takes them to a wedding. Isn't that amazing? Only John has this story. That um, Jesus uh, is, the next story we have is he's gathered at a wedding. And Jesus is uh, uh, there with his family. He's there with his mum, probably his brothers, sisters. He's there with his friends. He's there with his disciples. Jesus is... Um, at a wedding. And if you go to a wedding, there's, there's, there's several groups of people there, aren't there? Sue and I are going to a wedding next Saturday. We're looking forward to that. Um, uh, a young couple who joined us in church, joined our connect group, we're going to their wedding. So, um, so Sue and I will go. We won't have all our family with us because they're elsewhere, but there's, there's, there's us and ours going to the wedding, isn't there? If you go to a wedding, there's you, there's your spouse, or there's your family, and, and you go as a family unit, usually invited um, to go. And, uh, you know, Auntie Hilda, she uh, puts her best dress on and a nice hat and Uncle John brushes up okay, he's got a nice tie on. And we all go, oh, you look great, oh, you look wonderful. And you're there, us and ours. And, and you could spend the whole wedding just being there on your own or you could recognise that, well, actually, there's, there's quite a few other people there. There's, there's them and theirs. There's them and there's, oh look, there's the Jones family, there's the Smith family, there's people we know, oh, they, they're all here as well, that, that's amazing. And, and we know all these people are there. But also there's the couple, hopefully. We wouldn't want to turn up to a wedding and didn't actually have a bride and a groom, would you? But we don't really hear anything about them. In fact, we hear nothing about them at all in this story. 
You think a marriage service uh, story would involve the couple, but it doesn't. You see? So, um, but the point is, this story is more about the village. The whole community is gathered here. Weddings in, in Jewish times, going back to that time, they were for the whole community. Everybody turned up. And it wasn't just for the ceremony and the, you know, the, the sparkling wine afterwards and a bit of cake or whatever it was or the, you know, the, the wedding feast. It went on for five or six days. So this story is probably about day three, day four. And the village is, it, marriage is much bigger than just the couple getting married or their family or the other families it, it's gathered. It's much more about the community. I love the Anglican introduction, the Church of England introduction to the wedding service. It says, marriage is a way of life made holy by God, blessed by the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ with those celebrating a wedding at Cana in Galilee. You see how we link it in. Marriage is a sign, excuse me, marriage is a sign of unity and loyalty, which all should uphold and honour. It enriches society. It strengthens community, and no one should enter into it lightly or selfishly, but reverently and responsibly in the sight of Almighty God. What a great introduction. Don't know who wrote that, but that's great, because what does it do? It's not just a, a nice thing for the couple. It's not just a good thing for the family. It's not just a, a celebration for the church. It strengthens the community. It creates that sense of birth, of ongoing, of relationship, of protection, of building the community. And when we look at this story, we think about the wider situation that Jesus is stepping into. Not just into my life, not just into the life of those around me or my church, but into the life of the whole community. But there's other people there. There's the master of ceremonies. You see, he's the guy who, who's really in charge of making this marriage, this wedding day work, this, this whole festival. The whole thing is down to him, and things are not going well for him. And so we may think about him, we may just see him as a, as a, as a character in the story. But actually, if you look carefully, there's another sign. Because the master of the ceremony changes from being that man with that responsibility to being Jesus who steps in and makes the whole thing work. Jesus becomes the new master of the ceremony. We've got the servants. The servants are all over uh, there trying to make sure everybody's got what they need, make sure they're in the right place, make sure everybody knows what, where to go and what to do. And of course the servants have been responsible for making sure all the right ceremonies happen at the right time. And we've picked up that there's an important bit of this ceremony. There's only one bit of the ceremony that we actually get introduced. Not the, not the service, not the marriage itself, but this ceremonial washing. At the back of this synagogue, or wherever they are, by now there are these six stone jars full of just ordinary water. And the water is just a sign of purification. It, in itself, it's nothing. It's just a sign, and people would wash themselves as they come in, or maybe the servants would help wash them. It was just a done thing. It's just what they did. It was part of their, their way. But there's, there's another person at this wedding, and it's you, and it's me, because we're invited to look in 
The whole reason we have this story is Jesus saying to his disciples, come and see. So as you're here, imagine that you're standing on the balcony looking down at this wedding. What do you see? What is going on? One of the important things we get in this passage is this idea of the hour. The hour. Did you hear that it's slightly... It does come across a little bit rude, doesn't it? The way Jesus speaks to his mother. You know, his mum tells him a piece of information. You know, we've run out of wine, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you bother me? My hour has not yet come. And if we just take that on the surface, we're going to put it down to just Jesus having a bit of a bad day. You know, but it's a wedding, he's not having a bad day. It's, It's joyful. Well, let me introduce you to the, 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 the deeper bit of this, which is the time. You know, you know time? You know chronos is the uh, Greek for this, chronos, time. That's the time which means that when you leave here in four hours' time, I don't know how long I'm going to be, you know, when you leave here, you will be a bit older. There you go. You see, time will move on. Time will move on. And it just happens. I did tell this story at the first service. I said I might not because Sue's here. But um, in, our, in our house, Sue, is she packs everything into any hour. She's unbelievable. She achieves stuff. I mean, you know, when you've got a family, it's amazing what she can do. But she always thinks that there's one more thing she can get done before we need to leave the house. Um, she's, she's running, she's fallen downstairs trying to get out the door, all the things that she's done. So our children work this out with their dad. And so... Don't tell her, but our kitchen clock has always been set five minutes fast. Which means that we kind of think when we get out the door, we might, we might be on time. But whatever, we are all living in chronos time. However much you try to pack in, however much you hope it will keep going on, that's chronos. But that's just ordinary time. Let me introduce you to the much more important time in the Gospels, which is Kairos. And Kairos is that moment in time, that aha moment, or that oh wow moment. Maybe it is an event, maybe it is you know, a special birthday, or maybe it is a wedding. Maybe it is the time you turned to Jesus and you became a Christian, or when you got baptised, and I had some baptisms recently. Um, when there was a kairos moment. It was meaningful. You can point back to it and you can say, that was the moment when. And Jesus wants us to keep experiencing kairos. He wants us to realise that he is with us and he's walking alongside us all the while. He's with us in chronos as we simply do time. But he wants us to experience his presence when a moment happens. You know that couple on the Emmaus Road just walking along, sad about what had happened. And then when Jesus joined them, they didn't know it was Jesus. They walked, but when they got to the house and they persuaded him to stay and he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. It was a kairos for them. And they rushed back to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. So here we are in the, in the, the context of this passage. See the people, see what's going on. Wonder what is actually happening here. What can you recognise in yourself as you look? Maybe you, you look at this and you, and you feel, 
some sadness, you might feel some brokenness, you might feel some shame. Um, All of these emotions are, are actually packed into this passage. But you might be joyful, you might be expectant, you might be excited and hopeful. All of this is here for you to let God touch your heart. But there's a crisis. There's a crisis. doesn't matter, you know, what might be a crisis for you, might be a small problem for me or, or not, nothing at all. But this is a crisis. Because for the couple and for their family, for the gathered people around them, for the whole village, the wine has run out. Now, on one level, we can go, well, that's a bit sad. Somebody crack open the orange juice uh, or whatever it is. But, but the whole point was that the, there is... Um, dishonour here. There is shame for this family because there's supposed to be a feast, a feasting for the whole of the period. And and if we've run out of the wine halfway through, there is shame that they're going to feel. The master of ceremonies is going to feel the dread of the fact that the ceremony that he had um, organised is not working. The wine has run out. The party is over. At a, an individual level, it's, it's just, I want to curl up and, and get out of here. I don't want to be part of this because it's all gone wrong. You may have had that experience. Maybe you think that's a bit, a bit much for this situation, but there would have been that feeling there. For the community, it's just a sense, well, it's all over. The party's over. We might as well go home. But there's a kingdom level here. For us to understand. There's a kingdom level because the customs, the way of life, the religious way of life has run out. All we've got is the ceremonial water. That's all we have to remind us that something good should be happening. And Mary says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus, who responds in that way, uh, what sounds quite sharp, says, my kairos has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Because what is Jesus doing? He's thinking up here at kingdom level. Because for Jesus, the hour is the hour of his crucifixion. That's where he's heading. He knows that in the kingdom of God... It's not about just trying to make everybody happy at a wedding. That's just a sign for the fact that he will go to the cross and he will die in order that the big, the amazing wedding feast of the Lamb can be inaugurated, which actually is still to come. The wedding feast of the Lamb. You can read about that at the end of Revelation. Go to Revelation 19, Revelation 21, and you'll see that final Uh, picture of heaven coming to earth and the wedding feast of the Lamb. So Jesus' hour has not yet come. And yet his mother has begun to push the steps towards it. So what happens? They bring the ordinary water. They bring it to Jesus. And it's taken to that master of ceremonies who is ashamed and upset and worried that the party is over. And when he tastes the water, the ordinary stuff of our lives, the 
the ceremonial things that we do, the ordinary everyday habits of our lives. And he says, normally we'd serve the best first, but you have saved the best until last. Can you see that for you, if you look at what is ordinary and what is in your life, however you could see, maybe what is it that depicts for you the six stone jars, the everyday things that you just do? And what, where is it in your life as a community when you realise that actually we just keep doing the same things all the while? And yet Jesus is here. We, we had communion earlier. I love that bit of liturgy which says, the Lord is here. That's the bit. It's got a few Anglicans in the house. His spirit is with us. He is here and we're going about ordinary stuff until suddenly we realise that Jesus wants to bring a sparkle to us. So I'm going to um, bring this into land a little bit and say to us, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, come and see. What do you see? What do you see this morning? Look at yourself. Look around you. Look in your family. Look around church. Look at Southport. What's going on? What do you see? Because Jesus says, come and see. Maybe this week as you walk around doing everyday life, just imagine that Jesus is right there beside you. Because he is. Because he is. He's with you and in you. What sparkle do you want Jesus to bring from what you have that is ordinary? Taste and see that God is good. And there's a much bigger wedding there's a much bigger wedding because Jesus who died for us has enabled us to prepare ourselves for the great wedding feast to come and he will come back and he will take us to be with him and we will experience that greater feast where the even better of the best is still to come. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we, um, just if you can, if you can stand, why don't we just stand and be still in the presence of God? Maybe you identify with the family. Maybe you identify with the servants. Or maybe you identify with the master of ceremonies who has failed to make things work. Done his best, but it hasn't worked. Maybe you can feel that pain in your life that Jesus felt as he began to look ahead at the path before him. Maybe even this morning you, you need to make that choice to say, Jesus, I will come and see. I will follow you. I will trust you. Take my ordinary life, maybe even my messed up life. Take me on this journey. Wash me and lead me.
Or maybe you just need that sparkle back. Holy Spirit, come fill me again. Help me to overcome the things that are stopping me. Lift up your eyes. Take a new view and allow Holy Spirit to to fill you again. To remind you of who you are and who you're with and where you are. And that Jesus is on the move and you are with him.